Hey everybody, how's it going? Chris here with the Veteran Welding Podcast. So before we kick off today's show, I want to take a moment to slow down for a second and say thank you to our sponsors, okay? Today's sponsor is TMR Customs and they have been with us since the very beginning and I am truly grateful for that. So what I'd like you guys to do is stop for a second. If you guys are building a project, look at what you need. If you guys are looking for DIY components, TMR Customs is the place to go. Head on over to tmrcustoms.com and check them out. They have everything from your basic brackets and tabs that you need to mount, let's say, a tire rack, all the way up to full one-ton conversion kits for your Jeep JK. That's right. They have full weld-on kits where you can take one-ton axles from the scrapyard, slap them underneath your JK, and they bolt right up. So head on over to tmrcustoms.com. Check them out. Let them know I sent you. Hey everybody, how's it going? Thank you for tuning in to today's show. I'm Chris Reeder with Veteran Welding. I'm Steve Taylor with E3. And in today's episode, we are going to be carrying on with our Bluebell series. I'm not sure quite yet what we're going to call this, but in the last episode, or the first episode, where we're talking about how to select your project, I mentioned how we're bringing on, or I am bringing in my 51 Ford pickup truck, and I'm going to be doing that as like a personal slash company project rundown on that it's going to be it's going to have an ls drive line on it one one ton axles and then just a whole bunch of custom fab after that today's episode we are going to be talking about one ton axles um we'll talk a little bit about the axles that i'm going to be putting in that truck and then other axles that you could ha find in junkyard as well as some unconventional axle swaps that you might throw in there as well no never why not somebody might want to take out <laughs> a, a one-ton axle and put it in a dana 30 there's one guy out there that wants to do that guaranteed yeah. <laughs> no we're, it's we're on the internet yeah yeah <laughs> but um anyway no well that's what we're going to talk about and we're going to go from there i know you have a lot more experience in this department than i do so yeah, feel free to share your knowledge with us, Steve. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'll try. Yeah. For one-ton axle swaps, I think the most the most common you're going to see guys doing is like Dana 60s, Sterling 10 and a quarter, 10 and a half, uh, 14 bolt, yep. and a missing one. Uh, there's Dana 70, Dana 80. Yeah, okay. <laughs> The hybrid axles you can get into, so yeah. different inner parts with one-ton outer parts. One-ton is just kind of a generic slang term that everyone throws around. Yeah, I, I mean, I was I was trying to pull out like actual one-ton axles, like something you'd see in like a thirty-five hundred or a F three fifty. But yeah, because once you start getting into the day seventy, day in eighties, that's like the ton and a half two ton trucks in my or dualies and stuff like that am i not am i right or am i in the wrong ballpark well, well a, a dually is actually a one ton truck and that 250 is only a three quarter ton truck but we call them one ton axles so it's apples to apples at the end of the day yeah but i okay so th th this is okay this might be a spot where i might have been misinformed or just missed something I thought yep. if you had an F three fifty, okay, that was single rear wheel. Yeah, it would have like a Dana six or actually they have a the Sterling ten and a half in them now. But if you went up to the same exact same vehicle, but dually, that's when it stepped up to like the Dana eighty and the or Dana seventy. Agreed, but a dually is actually classed as a one ton truck yeah where so is the other 350 but they're both they're both a one ton it's just a different option because it's a dually one ton mm -hmm. so it's a bit stronger of a one ton i guess most Got people retube it though and change the hubs and change they just want like the diff itself before we start diving into swapping out diffs and creating like you know the 609 and everything else like that let's just cover the ba basics for a couple minutes and then we can go yep. full steam so personally like i mentioned in the last episode here i am running 
the snow fighter axles in mind. So they are the Dana 60 high pinion kingpin knuckles out of a 78 uh, Ford truck. Uh, the rear axle is a Sterling 10 and a quarter. Something I found yep. out is, uh, I believe it's in the mid 80s, early 90s. They got rid of the Sterling 10 and a quarter, brought in the Sterling 10 and a half. And the only difference is like the exact same housing. They just put in a quarter inch bigger ring gear. That's it. Yeah. So yeah, they change it, change the, yeah, just basically that opinion bearings change and stuff, but minimal things. Yeah. Yeah. The, for, for everything from what I've heard and seen from experience is that this setup is good. It's, it, it'll do what you need it to do. Uh, there's some sure. mechanical side of the house where it's a, it's going to be a bit of a, pain in the ass setting things up because it has a uh i think it's called a th- uh, crush bearing in the front on your pinion if i'm not mistaken um no usually once you go with aftermarket gears a lot of them nowadays they change the pinion machining on it and you just put spacer shim spacers but a clutch or uh sorry crush sleeve is easier quicker it's not easier it's quicker to set up yeah okay i didn't I didn't know they they did that. I didn't know you could swap it over. I thought it, if it was crushed from the factory, you had to stay crushed or the. No. Uh, and even a, even a crush sleeve, man. As soon as you crush it, you take the dip back apart, take the calipers, measure the size of the sleeve, the width of it that it's been crushed down to, walk over to your handy dandy lathe in the corner, machine a spacer, put the dip back together. There, you got the exact same preload on your bearings and no crush sleeve to go wrong. So you just. I guess you could say you increase the strength by a couple percent if you're worried about the crush sleeve deflecting under load and changing your backlash settings and wearing gears out. Like you can really split hairs if you want to get into it. Yeah. Huh. Okay. A lot of guys do that. They'll they'll ditch the crush sleeve for that marginal strength increase. Yeah. Now, if you're doing that though, why would you stick with something that has a or no? How, how can I ask this? So I, what, what I'm getting at is because when you said deflection there, it just threw up one of the strength benefits to the Ford 9-inch as well as the 14-bolt. Uh, Whereas you have that, you have the, I don't even know what the bearing is called. The third pinion support yeah, bearing. Yeah, exactly. On the, on the snout, on the gear. Yeah. yeah, so would you not be better off? straight off the hop to like if you're worried about deflection and that so if you're building like a rig like yours like your buggy or something where you're like your first buggy your your first rig where was the the jk on tons where you're going to be running 40s and like you know all this other stuff you're going to be going through some hard terrain would you not be better off right off the hop to ditch the 10 and a quarter or 10 and a half whatever you found or have and get a 14 bolt or a four nine inch because they're the as far as I know they're the only two that have that extra bearing support. Yeah, well, I'm kind of biased because those are the only few axles I like. <laughs> and <laughs> it's not because of the third pinion pinion support. Like, yeah, that's badass. That's cool to have, but it's mostly because of the setup time on a Dana axle or a sterling axle it's all shims you got to shim the carrier either underneath the bearings or over top of the bearings to put your carrier in and that just takes too much damn time on a 14 bolt or a nine inch it's just threaded adjusters that are threaded right into the axle tube so you just take a screwdriver and spin them and move it left and right in literally 10 seconds you can have your backlash set and then tighten them down to get your preload backlash gets checked again there you go you're done there's no setup bearings and shims and put it in and take it out and case spreader and fucking around like it takes for freaking ever and there's literally no benefits the only argument people have to run a sterlinger end is matching bolt pattern because it's a ford bolt pattern versus a chevy in those eras so eight by six and a half or eight by 170 so people want to have matching uh, bolt patterns, but you can just get different, drill your hubs out, get different hubs, run adapter spacer, like there's a million solutions to that versus having a nice setup and aftermarket support for ring and pinion choices, uh, locker choices, axle shafts, um, 
Another huge thing that's often overlooked, you don't have the ability to put a pinion guard on a Dana axle or a Sterling axle because the pinion isn't bolted in where it can be removed out of the front. So there's nowhere to mount a guard to where like TMR or rough stuff or whoever, you name it, they've got guards that bolt on to protect your pinion yoke off rocks when you're wheeling. Well, you don't get that with a Sterling either. So Sterling is just a downfall on top of a downfall on top of a downfall, but you get the same bolt pattern. So that's pretty cool. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, I don't know. I, I, like I mentioned before, I'm running it because I have it and I want to save money. And, yeah. and it, won't, it won't break. It's strong as shit. Oh, it yeah. just doesn't, it doesn't have those perks. Yeah. And that's why I went the Chevy route. And yeah. like three, 14 bolts that I picked up in my days cost me a case of beer each. Like you can get them, but dime a dime. There's so many Chevy trucks with rotten rockers and bad front ends that are just rotting in fields with 14 bolts in them. And, you could buy the whole truck for a hundred bucks, part it out, and your axle's free. And you make money on the deal too. You do, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, no. I, but I, the Ford is good. Yeah, the Ford's good too. That's true. But that and that and that's part of my game plan is I I'm going to be doing this truck in different phases. Phase one is just getting it done, getting it on the road, go out, have some fun, you know, sling some mud, maybe oh, yeah. put in a few beauty marks into the body panels, and that's it. And then next year, once we get, once I have my game plan in motion, because there's a whole shitload of stuff that I got going that I probably, that I'm going to bring you up to speed on here, probably after we record here or next time we talk. But once that's all done up, then we can sit there and look at, okay, how can we sit there and really make this thing stand out? Can we do a 609 axle up front? you know 14 bolt in the rear coilovers one thing like that essentially building it like most people would do over time yeah well that's how most people do it honestly man like yeah i didn't start with a a tube chassis (laughs) i started with gmc trackers do you know what those are tracker isn't that like a um like a geo metro or a suzuki sidekick or something like that yeah same thing. <laughs> I, was, I was 14 years old putting those things on 40-inch super swampers. I got photos of it. They would float. There's so much tire. <laughs> I can float up water. You got to send me pictures of that so we can post it online. <laughs> no, that's frowned upon. You're not supposed to drive in water. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You're floating. Floating on water. There's difference. <laughs> I'll share them with you. Yeah. You're special. <laughs> okay. All right. Something else to think of, too, is... Um, Fuck, I forgot I had that. Sorry. I have a Ford third member sitting in the in my shop crate here uh, with four ten axles and a spool in it. And that's that There you go. Yeah. That that's actually one of the benefits of the Ford nine inch as well. And I believe Toyota, one of their axles there, it's the only other one where you can actually pull out the third member, work on on the on your bench or wherever and then bolt it back in slap your axles in and away you go yeah there's a few um like unimogs are that way toyota's that way ford's that way uh rockwell two and a half tons five tons they're that way they're top load instead of rear yeah that's an awesome benefit to be able to do your third member by itself yeah so you should use that third member and your skills with your fab shop build yourself a housing do a video on it, weld it all up, be proud of your skills, and slam that third member in it. Just get out of my head. Just just yeah. get out of my head. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's actually what's exactly what's going through my head right now. Uh, you want a third member CAD file that's legit to spec? I can email it to you so you can design your housing. Oh, God, please. That'd be awesome. And then you sit there, drink a beer, and make your own. Chris housings built by you in-house yeah that'd be fucking awesome that'd be that'd be much appreciated too remind me and i'll email it (laughs) okay um but anyway yeah so that that is one uh, obviously one of the upgrades of or one of the benefits of the nine inch um now what the other one's weight yes saving weight yeah because the 
Well, the Ford 9-inch is 9 inches, whereas you look at a Dana 60, if I'm not mistaken, you're looking at 10 inches or more. A Sterling... No. no? Mistaken. Dana 60 is a 9.75-inch ring gear. A Ford 9-inch is a 9-inch ring gear. A Sterling 10.5 is a 10.5-inch, and a 14-bolt is a 10.5-inch. Until you shave them, then they're down to 10-inch. Mm-hmm. And if you want to run a nine inch and play that game, then just go get yourself some 10 inch ring and pinion gear set and run it. And then you're the exact same. You're bigger than a Dana 60 and you're the same size as a shaved 14 bolt with the extra pinion support. And you're saving a ton of weight. Okay. Now, when you're doing that, um, the, the, the only, what, sorry, I'm just, I'm just picturing it in my mind. The, the pumpkin sizes like the 14 bolt is fucking massive i know that the nine inch is really freaking small it's a, it's a nice tight compact package with yep. the would a rear 60 be similar to that because i've never seen i've never seen a rear 60 before a rear 60 is the same as a front it's just on the rear yeah so it'll be a low pin it'll be low pinion gears so it'll be standard cut not reverse cut yeah but other than that, like, if you held uh, the carrier of a Dana 60 front or a Dana 60 rear, there's slight differences depending on the years, but for the most part, the carriers all look the same. The ring gears are all the same. Bearings are all the same. It's, it's the same shit. And, and the casting would be the same because where, where my mind went with that was seeing as how it's in the rear, it's going to be taking a lot more load. It needs a lot more ribbing casted into it and structural support therefore it would need to physically be bigger because the ford nine inch they discontinued using that fuck i don't even know when they discontinued it but it was probably the 80s or early 90s sometime they discontinued using the nine inch in the rear end of things and so the weight ratio from what a one-ton truck could carry then and at the speeds and everything else like that compared to today, because today they're using the, a lot of trucks are using, uh, not a lot, but I believe it's Dodge is using AMA axles. If I'm, and they're fucking huge. AAM. AAM. American AAM. Axle Manufacturer. That's it. What did I say? AMA. AMA. Okay. Yeah. Um, Chevy is too. Everyone started doing that in like 2008 or something. They got the contracts over Dana to manufacture the housings, but a lot of it's still the same stuff. Like I'm okay. sure they, I'm sure they're in bed with Dana and vice versa. I believe the main reason that you don't see the nine inch anymore just straight comes down to the beam counters. The nine inch third member is tough as shit. But the housing was super flimsy and lightweight to put strong gear sets in small cars like Mustangs and stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, if you want a strong housing to put that axle in a truck or like an Ultra 4 car or a big Jeep that you want to call it a one-ton or whatever, you'd have to fabricate that housing. And mass production is not about fabricating parts. It's about casting parts and having big batch runs of it that's super easy to control versus weld deflection and different welding operators causing different issues or robotic welding and robotics going down and the time it would take to cut, bend, weld, prep, clean, inspect. So on a grand scheme of mass-produced stuff, you wouldn't really want heavy-duty fabricated axles. It just costs too much to sell to the average consumer. So I think that's the main reason they went to just a regular... I don't know what they call four diffs on like a half ton truck, but they look like a Dana axle, just a cast diff with a tin cover. Yeah. I, I think I almost want to stay as a Sterling. Like a, yeah, a, the big stuff is, I don't no, know, uh, but maybe the small stuff too. Maybe. I don't know. I know I got a, a leak in my uh, pinions, pinion seal on my F-150. So I'm going to have to be diving into that here relatively soon but uh yeah when i do that i'll let you know cool so i think some of it might be ford 8.8 but i don't know what years like explorers have that too yes that's uh, a big that's a highly modded uh jeeps do that a lot tjs love the 8.8s mm-hmm. uh they the 8.8 was early 2000s 
okay. if I'm not mistaken. So a lot of explorers, even the the Ford Ranger guys, same thing. Like yeah. you yeah. swap those things in there, and they last forever. Yeah, you do. Uh, I've done a few with chromoly shafts and upgraded bearings, so they're they're kind of like a semi float, like the JK. Mm-hmm. It's not a full floating axle, but it's not a C clip axle. So when it breaks, you're kind of fucked, but you're not because the axle didn't completely fall off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and actually, you know what? That that's a good thing to chat about too. Is with the fourteen bolt, some your some Sterlings. And actually, I don't know about the nine inch. You could get them in a full float versus semi float. Yeah, yeah. The, the fourteen bolt semi float doesn't look anything like the fourteen bolt full float. No, no. Know that. Like it doesn't have a removable pinion or anything. Doesn't have a removable pinion, and I believe even the casting's different. Yep, yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. Even the ring gear. I think the ring gear might even be different size. I think it's nine point seven five, like a Dana sixty, where. The full float's ten and a half. Mm-hmm. I know uh, the Sterling that I have. It's a it's a full float, and that's one of the reasons, one of the upsides about it that I want to run it. But yep. So um, now, ooh, something that I'm thinking of too is uh, when you're a, if you're doing a solid axle swap up front, one of the things you have to look out for is um, I'm not sure what year it is, and I'm hoping you could back me up on this one. But Ford put a solid axle in their F2 one-ton trucks. Looks like a Dana 60. Smells like a Dana 60. It's a Dana 50. Dana 50. Yeah. 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 99 to 04. Okay. Now, in those years, for those axles, could you still, like, could you rip out the Dana 50 internals and plop in the Dana 60s? Because it's the same. Different casting. Different casting. Okay. All right. Yeah, you look at the top of the casting. You just have to look at the top of the diff. The oil journal, the ring gear spins and flings oil to feed the bearings, the pinion bearings. Mm-hmm. On the Dana 50, that oil journal only goes like not even halfway back towards the pinion, and then it goes straight down into the the housing. Where a Dana 60 travels almost all the way to the pinion in a smooth ramp all the way down. There's no abrupt change in direction. So as soon as you see a diff that on the top of it in those years, 99 to 04, if it drops off like not even halfway, that's a Dana 50. And then the other way to triple check it or double check it is measure the pinion nut. It'll be one nut size smaller than a Dana 60. So it's like an inch and five eighths instead of an inch and three quarter or something like that. Okay. All right. But the like the axle shafts, the U-joints, the ball joints, the knuckles, the C's, the hubs, the brakes, all of that is still Dana 60. The axle shafts neck down on the inner seals and drop spline count for the gear. So just the differential itself is weaker. So guys, buy those up for nothing, like 50 bucks a case of beer, cut the C's off and weld them on to 14 bolts or what have you, whatever you want to try and build. And now you've got a hybrid of a Dana 60 and a, like a 609 or a 6014 or a rear 6060, and you've got no money invested because they're all cheap parts and no one wants the Dana 50, but it's the same as all the 60 stuff. Okay. Well, that's good to know. Yeah, but I've, and the only reason I know about those, honestly, is because I remember I was watching like extreme four by four, like, you know, eight, nine years ago, and they, they, they said, hey, this is what you need to watch out for because they bought it thinking it was a, uh, a 60. And I forget what project it was going into, but they're like, it's not. It's it's a Dana fifty. So that's how I learned. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Same fucking thing. Yeah. But all right. Um that's actually a good uh segue into custom axles. Cause I, honestly I don't see the need to be talking about like, you know, Rockwells and one thing the other like that, because that is a completely different beast, and as soon as you throw Rockwells underneath something, it is no longer road legal, and the only reason you'd be using them is if you're building something for, like, the bogs of, like, Florida or Georgia. So, <laughs> they're, they're great. I raced, I raced against a guy with Rockwells. He's really good. Really? Yeah. Front and rear steer on 54-inch tires with a 6-liter LS. Oh, my. On NOS. Oh, my God. That's He's hard ins- to beat. 
He's an operator, rear steer and front, ripping that thing around on 54-inch balloons. Oh, my God. Wow. Yeah. All right. But anyway, um, fabricated axle. So we mentioned it a few times, 609s. For those who don't know, it's a Dana, Dana 60 outers with four 9-inch internals. Uh, pumpkin, sorry. And yeah. have you ever built any of those or... No. No. Okay. Yeah. So the. Not yet. I wouldn't. I would. I would not. I wouldn't want that. I wouldn't build it. But no one's asked me to build it either. So. Why is that? It's not my cup of tea. <laughs> I don't know. It's a personal opinion, I guess, or belief. If I was gonna build a set of nine-inch axles, I wouldn't use just standard Dana sixty parts. I guess you could still call it that if you were gonna go like. I'm a big fan of if you're going to get a fabricated housing, then fabricated knuckles like spider tracks or a bunch of people offer Yep. or go aftermarket, like read parts. You could still call it a 60 outer, even though they're all aftermarket, they're still 60, I guess. Or you go to crane stuff where you put rear, like the 14 bolts, they use it on 14 bolt fronts, but you could put that on a, a nine inch as well. Yeah. <clears throat> excuse me. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Sorry. Uh, yeah, no, that, that's, that's kind of where I'm going with that for my train of thought as well. Like they're, they're good, but if you're already there and you're already you're that far, exactly, yeah. exactly. So yeah. All right. well, time, time is money to me. Like, unless you have a means to hack that, inner C and kingpin or ball joint or not whatever you're taking off the old junkyard stuff to, to me in my life my time is valuable i'd rather spend it with family and friends or out on the trails and in my younger days yeah i'd spend four weekends just torching and grinding and prepping to be like i saved myself five hundred dollars even though i spent 250 on welding and fabricating consumables plus a bit of hydro and two hundred dollars in beer with my friends yeah so it, did you save at the end of the day did you really save you fucking learned a lot that's for damn sure that's a school of hard knocks but now that i know what's involved in cutting that shit off just to say i did it i kind of choose not to do that these days have you and i'm not knocking it it works i just i've been there i've done it and now i don't want to do it yeah have you ever heard of arc gouging Oh yeah, I've done that lots. It's not fun. <laughs> That's how I did my first my first Super Duty 60, the big cast fucking rubber bushings on the driver's side. Mm-hmm. I arc gouged them off in like 15 minutes. Screw grinding and sawzall. Get a gouger right with a diesel generator welder and just cut the fuckers off in the driveway. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. No, I loud and messy, but it works. Yeah. No, I I absolutely fucking hate grinding. But I, Me too. You, you know what though, it, any chance I get to break out the gouger and save time, I'll do it. I'll do it with a, in a heartbeat. Yeah. But yeah, they're a handy tool. Yeah. Now, what about what other custom axles are there out there besides a fabricated Ford nine-inch rear end? Like, um, well, there's fabricated Chevy fourteen bolts that are third-member dropout, just like a nine-inch. You can get them from Torque. The same same guts as a 14 bolt, but built like a nine inch. Kind of different, cool. Supposed to save weight, I guess. And I think they even offer it in a high pinion, so you can do your front too and mm-hmm. run on the drive side of the gear. Um, I don't know about many other stuff. People fabricate, uh, not really. That's just diff covers for rock wells. They don't do the whole housing. Mm-hmm. And the, the probably it, I know. The only other thing I can think of, and you triggered it when you said Rockwell, is guys will sit there and they'll they'll torch off the outer knuckles of the steering Rockwells and put those onto fourteen bolts. I've heard of guys doing them on sixties and Oh yeah, I did that for a buddy. We put Rockwell outers on a fourteen bolt. Yeah. Then years you... ago that was that was cool years ago a lot of people did that but no one does that now i don't know why 
Maybe it's the same thing. It's just it's too much bullshit to grind. <laughs> you, you know what? I I think that's exactly what it is. And I don't know. Maybe yeah. I, I think I think a lot of it might also have to do with the cost to weight ratio, like how much you actually saving in weight for the cost. Because the only guys that I I can think of that are that might still be running that are like guys like Tim Cameron who are doing like those massive rock bouncers. He doesn't even run Rockwell stuff really anymore. No. Well, no, he hasn't run a Rockwell in, in years, but I'm talking like outers, like maybe run a Rockwell outers. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. I think right now on his new one, it's all um, the crane stuff. Mm -hmm. Big, big heavy duty crane shit. But I know he did run Rockwell outers because when I helped my buddy, that's who he was building after, like following in his footsteps. Yeah. Is rock bouncing a thing in Ontario? There's a few. Okay. They don't they don't really rock bounce here. They just trail ride, but they go down to the states and okay stuff like that. Yeah, that that that's what I was thinking. You just the way just the way you were saying it, I was made me wonder if that was a a, a thing in Ontario now. No, but. not really. It'd be cool if it was, but... Mm-hmm. Okay. But yeah, so you got that, and then... What else? What else? There's something we're missing. Unconventional one-ton axle swaps, or unconventional axle swaps, if you want to call it that. Specifically Unimogs. You know what I, you know what I want to build? Shoot. It'd be really cool. Four nine-inch centers with custom billet unimog portal drop outers so kind of like a mog 09 or something Ooh. okay you can run lightweight custom billet boxes state-of-the-art not ancient unimog shit with leaky seals and bolts that are rusted and all that jazz so you get your ground clearance and you're running nine inch shit so you're reducing all the load and stress on the ring and pinion. You'll probably never break them because of the reduction boxes out at the hubs. Yeah. You're gaining ground clearance. You're adding stress and loads to the tube. So you have to design the axle to handle that. But the only thing that deters me from it is I don't think portals like high speed, they get hot. There's a lot of gears spinning in a small spot. Mm-hmm. So that would be better for just like a trail rig, I would say. But I was dreaming up on my computer designing a nine-inch rear with portal drops and an IFS front with portals on that. So the A-arms are up really high. The CV shafts stay flat. You get way more ground clearance than what you have even out back because there's no diff hanging down and your IFS. So pretty badass setup. It's super expensive. It won't take me a while to build it. But then I just kind of realized that IFS doesn't really work good in what I do for wheeling. I'd be sacrificing, I think. It works awesome in the whoops and the high speed, but I don't do a lot of that. Yeah. It would just be a cool thing to have, and I don't really want to build it just to have that cool thing. But it would be a cool setup to do, for sure. Now, what are what do Unimogs come in? They come in like heavy industrial equipment and like mil- yeah. military vehicles, right? Yeah, like big shit. It's like two ton stuff. Two or two and a half ton, like big Mercedes, flat nose, like mining trucks and stuff. They're they're big shit. Yeah. So so things you wouldn't necessarily see at highway speeds of any sort. That Exactly. Now that has me thinking, are these straight cut gears? Cuz that could be another reason why you wouldn't see them on the road because they'd be loud as fuck if they were straight cut yeah they are i think they are loud yeah yeah okay yeah hmm. i was working on one but i never drove it it's not done yeah i know i um hmm i was gonna say i i was watching a dirt every day episode a while ago and they had uh this unimog and the top speed in it and like the, it was the vehicles called a unimog and the top speed in the vehicle was like 60 miles an hour and they were going across like two or three states or for some fucking reason i don't know why 
but it took them forever in a fortnight. And just watching that thing go down the road was painful to see. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I bet. But <laughs> anyway, um, so I think we've covered majority of the common and uncommon axles that you would find, right? I think so. Okay. Um, In the off-road world, yeah. Yeah. Okay, now let's start talking about aftermarket parts for them. Gears, lockers, axles, stuff like okay. that. Um, because, it, I don't know, they, they go hand in hand. For sure. So, obviously we covered the benefits of the 4 9-inch and all that, and the 14-bolt, because for setup reasons. Um, now... Where would you suggest somebody starts with if they want to add a locker? What would you suggest? That's it's going to be a daily. Let's use Bluebell for an example. I know what I want to put in it, but let's just play it like I'm dumb. What would you suggest I throw in there, in the rear end? Depends on what you have to spend and how much you're going to drive it. I guess I don't know. I'm a really big believer in not having lockers until you've wheeled for a couple of years because it really teaches you how to drive. Mm-hmm. People that have lockers rely on them. They buy Rubicons brand new and really can't drive off-road, but they think they can because they have all the extra grip. So I'm a, an advocate for wheeling open, but if you have to go in, if you're already doing the build and you're changing out your gears, well, you don't want to go in again and change it out for a locker. So by all means, throw it in. So... I would, it's an area I would spend a bunch of money if I had the, if I was doing it. I've had a lot of different setups from automatic lockers to mini spools, full spools, uh, lock rate lockers, Detroit lockers, ARB lockers, electric lockers, pretty much driven them all. If you can go selectable, I, the only reason people don't is because of cost. Like <laughs> there's no reason you would turn down an awesome, reliable, selectable locker other than it costs a lot of money. Oh, yeah. You go into four-wheel drive, four-wheel parts, and they're like, well, I don't know about in Ontario, but the one here in Calgary, they have a couple different ones on display. And an ARB for 410 and above, I believe, is about 1300 bucks just for the locker. Oh, oh yeah, easy. Probably more. And then, yeah. then you have to look at your install kit. You have to look at your plumbing. You have to look at, are you going to run a, a like a, a power tank or are you going to get it on board air? Like, yep. it, it goes up but quick. Those are, things, those are things you have to consider anyways with the build. Like, how are you going to fill your tires up? Exactly. Well, if you got to buy a pump for your tires, you might as well buy, like, the ARB twin for your tires and your lockers. Mm-hmm. Like, all these things are to consider, and there's just no fucking cheap way to do it. Like it's no. going to cost money. Yeah. Well, anywhere, anywhere you talk yourself out of what you want, I've learned bites in the ass down the road because you're like, I really want a selectable locker. Uh, I don't want to spend the money on that. So I'm going to go open. And then the first day you start driving it, it starts a little whisper in the back of your ear as you're driving around. I really wish I had that locker or whatever it is you want that you don't grab. And then, you're not happy with your build until you go back and you address that. Exactly. And and the thing is, is you need to be a hundred percent honest with yourself. Is this thing yep. going to be a trailer queen? Is this thing yep. going to be driven on the road? Cause yeah. like for, for me, like if, or, well, yeah, because if you sit there and you say, yeah, this is going to be a 100% trailer queen. It is only going to see dirt then you can save yourself a shit ton of money and get spools front and rear. Just weld it. Or, fucking send it. Or or yeah, or or <laughs> weld it. Takes you two minutes. Yeah. Saves you hundreds. Exactly. But if yeah. you're if you're sitting there and you're gonna be driving it on the road, then you have to like really are, are you going to be hopping on the throttle? Are you going to be taking it easy, or are you going to be like, oh, I'm going to, I'm probably going to be stepping on it a little bit because I like the the exhaust note that's coming out the back. Well, if you're running a spool on the street with 40s, you got to be careful. You nailed it. You you nailed it when you said you got to be honest with yourself because that's just it, and how you're going to use the build at the end of the day, and what'll best suit you. Like 
I drove my rig with school front and back on 42s, speed locks, and full hydro, and the thing drove fucking amazing. Cruise control, one finger on the wheel, the thing would sail at 120, no issues. The front's not locked on the road because I have free spin hubs. So who cares if there's a spool in the front? People are like, you're spooled front and rear. Oh, my God, you must drive through schoolyards. No. The front, you spin the hubs, and it's like it's not there. Yeah. And the back being spooled, the only time you're going to notice that the back has a spool is when you go on an on-ramp or an off-ramp at speed because it's going to load up the suspension because it can't free spin on the in-wheel. Or in gas stations and parking lots, it'll chirp. But, like, taking off from a red light and doing a 90 or going around a corner in a survey or subdivision, you barely even notice it other than you hear the tire kind of chew in the gravel a bit. But it doesn't, like, squawk and hop and cause a ruckus. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, the, that, that's the thing, too. It's like, and you, you, you mentioned it, is how are you going to use it? Like, what, or I can't remember the, your exact wording, but essentially it's like... Yeah, what, if you drive it one day a week just to the trail, well, yeah, you drive it every day. How, what's your use? Well, that that too. What's your use? That's it. That's what you said. Um, like me, this is going to be for a build, and I'm going to be posting it. Uh, everything that I do with this truck, it's going on social media. So I'm going to be using yep. it as content for everything. And by doing that, I'm gonna I'm staging it. So yes. When it's done, I, I I want coils all the way around. I want forty two stickies, yeah. forty two inch tall stickies. Yeah. I want like you know like the best of the best of the best on this build. But to start off, it's going to be leaf. Yeah, it's going to be leaf sprung. It's going to be built with what I have or what I can build and stuff like that. So you know, sure. do do you need to sit there and fork out that money right up all, all that money up front, or can you? No. Uh, can you make do for a little while? You learn more. You learn more doing it your way, for sure. Yeah. Hands down. You yeah. start with leafs, you get the shocks dialed in, you get the ride dialed in, you learn about where you can and can't wheel and what you like about it and what you don't like, and then you do one end on coilovers and leave leafs in the other, and then you do the other end. And exactly. And you change tires. You're going to learn the systems and how to work with the systems for sure, rather than just throwing a whole ton of money at it at the beginning and not knowing what you're doing and making a lot of mistakes and then regretting choices. Yeah. So let's uh, let's start working our way out towards the tires. So you, we talked about lockers. Um, what about axle shafts and stuff like that? What would you suggest? Like I, I honestly, for the amount of wheeling that I'm going to be doing right now, I can't. I'm not gonna. I don't plan on upgrading the the spline count. I plan on running the splines that are in there, and that's it. That's good. But I'm, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I don't like to upgrade things until I break them twice a season. That's my rule I live by. So if you break something when you're wheeling, there's multiple possible causes, let's say. Say you break an axle shaft. Well, when was the shaft manufactured? Was there already hairline fractures in it that weakened it to begin with? Were you driving it beyond its capabilities? Was it bound up? Did it get shock loaded or did it just break under regular power? Um, like I could go on by studying the break when it happens. It, it'll tell you a story. Just like welding a puddle, it tells you a story of what's going on. And when I break that one item, if it was an original say an axle shaft and a Dana 60 Kingpin. Well, I'm going to consider all those factors in my decision on just hopping on social media and picking up another factory shaft because someone went and bought chromolies and they wheel twice a year and they were never going to break the stock shaft anyways, because they like trails that are rated moderately easy, but they just want one tons because they like insurance. And now you got another shaft and maybe this shaft lasts three years before it breaks and it'll tell you a story at that point too before you might not ever need chromolies where if you go out and you snap a shaft at the ears or right at the end of the flange two times in one season and you shear it off and they were both good looking 
factory shafts or even in a chromoly shaft, that's when you have to sit back and go, clearly I'm a crazy guy and this thing can't handle me. So we got to throw some money at it and put a really good upgraded shaft, go to 300M or a bigger spline count or you name it. There's a lot of upgrades. That, that's how I look at it because you don't necessarily need it. And there's a lot of parts that I would leave alone over the years and people would always come up and, oh, nice this, nice that, but why would you leave that? Well, I haven't broke it, so why fix it? Exactly. I, I 100% agree. And like the, the way I look at it is similar to, to your method, but if I break it, I don't – I look at it as, okay, now is my opportunity to upgrade because you know I, I already have to spend a couple hundred bucks well what if if i have to spend four hundred dollars for axle shafts j- just for conversation's sake sure. for, for stock factory ones but chromoly is you know 550 and 300m is 700 well why, why not if if you have the money once again, if you have the money, yep. why not splurge a little bit and go up to like the chromoly shafts? For sure. Yeah, if you got the money, do it. Yeah. I so. don't see why not. Now, what what what's the difference between chromoly and 300M? I know, obviously I know what chromoly is, but what's 300M? Like I've never heard, I've never heard anybody really dive into that. Is it just like, you know, you can get plate steel that's uh, AR plate? AR 400 TQ 100 and it's just a a mill designation or like what is it I've never studied into it a lot the most I've ever really read if I recall is it's just a type of chromoly with a refined grain structure uh, okay ah uh, okay so so they run it through like cryo treatment or something like that that doesn't even have to be. You can do it with resistance heat tempering or annealing. Um, you can do it at the mill with the chemicals they put in it and the way it cools from rolling it at the mill. Or it could go for Cairo. I'm, I've never, I never studied it yet. I haven't really cared. <laughs> I just know it's better and they did the studying. So when I break Chromoly, I go to 300M. And when I break that, we just drink beer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> like shit we broke all the good parts we gotta order them from the states this is gonna take two weeks so let's just sit and drink well well okay well let, let's let's think about this for a second if you sit there <laughs> and you start tempering something or annealing it or whatever you're gonna change the grain structure and that's what i'm getting at if you yep. take a set of stock axles, they're actual axles. Not enough content in them to change them. Not the chemical e- content that they're made up of, it's um, 12, 18 or something. I forget. Mm-hmm. I used to, I studied all this stuff when I first got into one time. I have books. I should try and find them and show you. Just I printed thousands of pieces of paper when I was at work. My old job just info off pirate and stuff and studied and there are some smart dudes out there and i learned a lot of crap but yeah you can't just heat up the factory shafts to get them stronger they're not made of a material that has that ability there's not enough carbon in them and stuff okay but now what if instead of heating it up you go the other way you cryo the the shafts oh yeah that'll get you your five percent or ten percent but i don't know if it's really worth it yeah, so so it will help, but just not enough to not enough to justify the cost. Yeah, exactly. At that point, just buy new chromos or something. Mm-hmm. Okay, all right. The biggest thing, the biggest thing I remember when I studied these is you have to read how they heat treat the chromoly because if it's resistance through a coil around it, they can't fit the ears where the U joints are. And that's where you constantly see certain chromoly brand shafts. They shear at the U-joint, rips right through the ears because the ears don't get heat treated, but the rest of the shaft does. And also that type of heat treating 
is only designed to go in like 1.5 millimeters or two millimeters into the surface of the material just to harden the outer shell but still have a soft inner core so it's ductile enough that it doesn't shear off at the splines all the time so like there is a sign there's a lot to read about axle shafts and why people do what they do and there's certain applications you want one versus the other like a drag car that's just going to get that shock load quick and then spin the tires and rip down that 60 uh 60 foot strip is a lot different than a rock bouncer with 800 horse and 54 inch tires which crazy leverage grabbing roots and rocks and so you there's a lot to know on I don't. I haven't studied it and kept up on it. I learned it a while ago, so I would do your own research and see what info you can find. Yeah, and and something to keep in mind, like just for the listeners, is like you you don't want it heat treated the entire way through. You don't want that because you you what you're doing is is you want to heat treat the outside. You want to go in a certain depth, um, and then what that'll do is it'll give you the hardness on the outside so it'll hold everything together yet on the inside it'll give you the um how can i explain it like like spring capabilities where it'll sit there and it'll flex back to original faster more repetitively stuff like that right yeah kind of yeah yeah um okay there's that we talked about actual shafts uh 14 bolts, let's uh, kind of carry on with them because I know if you get the older ones, you're going to sit there and you can get them with these massive drum brakes on them. Same thing with any old one-ton axle that you get your hands on. Chances are they're going to be drums in the rear. Um, what would you suggest for lightening those up besides obviously switching to uh, disc brakes? Yeah, like anyone buying 14 bolts nowadays usually they're not that old because we're not in the nineties now, like finding a 2004 that's 15 year old axle, that's some old stuff. And those all have disc brakes and everything. But if you do have an old like eighties, 14 bolt that you want to convert, uh, TMR customs, rough stuff, a bunch of different shops sell well done disc brake kits. And it's like a bracket and you remove all the backing plate from the drum and stuff. And then you're converted to a newer style braking system. But if you're on already a newer style with disc brakes, there's a lot of companies that offer brackets to go to like a Willwood brake caliper and a light rotor or different hubs and all that fun stuff as well. Now, what about some, this is something that I've seen you showed me that you built. I'm pretty sure it was, it's on your buggy. But custom hubs. Yeah, because mine's mine's the newer style axle, so I had disc brakes. So I just I run a 14 bolt with a uh, Ford Dana 60 front. And the front is a metric eight by 170. The back was eight by six and a half, and I didn't want that. But the Ford's also wider, the WMS than the Chevy's is by like three inches or something. So I wanted hubs machined that were eight by 170 bolt pattern and moved out an inch and a half or two inches i forget what it was so it was like i had an adapter spacer but it was all in the hub and the hub is aluminum 7075 aluminum instead of cast steel to shave weight and the brakes are lightweight and the calipers are really small and lightweight so you can get away with a smaller master so I have manual brakes. Okay. Now, how, how how did you find that that custom hub say? Uh, how do you find that the custom hub stood up to the abuse that you laid onto it there last year? It's flawless. It looks brand new. Would you? So would you say that this could be a viable option for like street use, or would you say off road only? I don't know if I. Have a high enough pay grade to make that call. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you can do what you want, but I put it on a few jeeps out there so far, and they're doing all right. (laughs) Okay, nice. There's a lot of guys. It's big in the states. There's a lot of guys doing it. I'm sure it's fine. Like, if you run the the numbers, the seventy seventy five aluminum, if you do the size and dimensions of what it's made out of, 
more than strong enough to handle the loads that it's seeing. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, um, is I'm just trying to think if there's anything else I don't that want we missed. To talk about. Shoot, let's hear it. Uh, pin, pinion yokes. A lot of the stock mm. pinion yokes are a strap style with two little bolts that thread into the yoke. That's garbage. Throw that out and go with either a flange, so it's a flat plate with four big bolts that bolts the drive shaft on, or with a U-bolt style forged, uh, the yoke's forged, and then it comes with U-bolts, and then you thread a nut on the backside so the yoke isn't actually threaded. Because those stupid little bolts and those straps, they just rip right out constantly and break. And I don't know how many guys I've wheeled with within five minutes on the Saturday morning trail, the fucking guy's got a broken drive shaft, and we're sitting there with drills and easy outs and cursing at them while then you go to have a beer or something because you're sitting for two hours. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. He didn't even get anywhere. He's already broken over yeah. the dumbest thing. Yeah, it's it, it and honestly, in the, this is this is honestly, guys, just my personal opinion. That is one of those things where if you're in there and you're repairing anything, if especially or no, hold on, let me say that again. If you're in there and you are building it from scratch. Just fucking upgrade it. It's in the big picture. The little bit more money that you're gonna pay to upgrade that is pigeon shit. It really is. Yeah, like a hundred bucks or two hundred bucks for a good yoke. Yeah, yeah. Um, drive pucks or drive flanges. Where do you stand on those? Because that that that's something else you guys can do too for up front if you want to eliminate your um, selectable lockers. Do them out back too, man. They're badass. Take a, take a Chevy 14 bolt, cut the hubs off, the spindles, and then go get a weld on uh, wheel bearing flange. And then you bolt on the front super duty Ford wheel bearing hubs on the back. It gives you your ABS sensor built in for your Jeep or whatever you're building that needs to run ABS, matches your bolt patterns. Get a set of custom axle shafts made with drive slugs in the back. So they're always engaged, just like an axle shaft. And then you got a sealed wheel bearing assembly, not full of oil like the factory one was. Strong as shit, drive slugs, and ABS built into it without like machining a hub and putting a tone ring on it and a bracket for a sensor and all this other jazz. That's a slick setup. Did you just come up with that? Did you just? I've had that. That's been around for years holy crap i've never even heard of that yeah it's pretty badass hmm. all right cool groovy well I, I honestly can't think of anything else to to cover or, oh sorry that's a lie um trusses and stuff like that that's the only other thing i could think of yeah um, i was gonna say dip covers too Oh yeah, trusses and diff covers. They're, well, di- ball joints. What brand? What type of ball joint? Yeah, there's a lot. <laughs> yeah, there is a lot we haven't covered. But a, a, a diff yeah. cover though is is one of those things. If you're putting a locker in there, especially if it's a selectable, you, you're going to be crazy if you don't invest in some insurance for that damn thing. Yeah, buy it from Four Wheel Parts and get the gold warranty. They'll replace it, no questions asked. Excellent plan. I love it. Hmm. Okay. You, they'll do your they'll do your ring and pinion. They'll do anything. Like you blow that diff apart, they'll warranty it. Huh. All right. Yeah, it's pretty sweet. Good to know. Check it out. Call them up and ask them about their warranty. It's pretty sweet. Yeah. I, I'm buddies with the one of the service guys out here. So I'll just call him up and harass him. But, yeah, there you go. Yeah. Cool. Well, I think that might be a good spot to throw a pin in it for this one. What do you think? Okay. Yeah. I think we've been at it for an hour or so. Yeah. 59 minutes. Exactly. So, oh. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, in that case, then, Thank you guys for tuning into the show. As usual, if you have any questions, please reach out to us. You can find me on Instagram, Facebook. You can email the show at the uh, the 
you can email the show at the veteran welding podcast at gmail.com um my personal is Chris Reader. Instagram is Veteran Welding. Facebook, Veteran Welding. That's where you can find me to reach out to me. Um, Steve? You can find me on Facebook at D3 Off-Road. And same with Instagram. There's just D3 underscore Off-Road. You can see a lot of my posts on there. Yeah. And other than that, guys, that is this week's episode. Catch us on the next one. Drops every Tuesday. And we'll... Catch you later. Have a good one, guys. Cheers. Stay focused. Cheers.